Our scripture reading this morning is John 4, verses 7 through 26. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. But those who drink, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give all become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Amen. Thank you, Diana. She got a, a lengthy one. You know, you never know when you sign up to be a scripture reader. It's going to be a short one or a long one. I think we all would agree. Uh, that in the last, say, three years or so, we're coming up on three years from the pandemic. Uh, the last three years especially, churches changed a lot. We'd all agree on that, wouldn't we? Churches changed a lot in people's view of church. And churches changed a lot in the last 20 years. Churches changed a lot in the last 50 years, in the last 70 years, 100 years, 200 years. I mean, this congregation was established by a circuit rider on horseback. You can imagine the earliest days of that church, that congregation gathering. Church has changed a lot. 
but I wondered, what, what do people think about the essentials of church? Like, why should we even bother coming to church anymore? Do we even need this space? Do we need to gather in a worship space like this? Do we need a building? You know, do we need to know each other? Do we need to be in relationship? Shouldn't we just be able to tune in online? No offense if you're watching online. <laughs> you know, we've all been asking some of these questions, especially during the times where we couldn't actually gather. Or when we were out in the parking lot and we were saying, well, this is worship, right? We're asking all these questions that we've never actually had to ask before in our, in our recent history, at least, within the church. So for the next three weeks... I'm going to lead us through a series uh, just simply called Why Church? That's just my ongoing name for it. Why Church? And this will actually be a recurring series that I'll just bring back and dust off a little bit when something comes to the surface. Like maybe other weeks we'll look at uh, communion. Why church? Why is communion important? But these three weeks we're going to look at these three essential elements of the church. Not just in my opinion, but going all the way back throughout the Bible. One is worship what we're going to talk about today. The other is what we call, this is a very churchy word. Some people would have no idea what this word means. We have to accept that reality. Fellowship. It means deep, meaningful relationships. Not just where we know each other's name, but where we actually really know. This is, I know Deb. I know what she's like. I know what drives her as a person. Meaningful relationships. So that's number two next week, if that sounds interesting. You might have to tune in online if you want to watch it, if you want to get a sense of that. And the third one is maybe the most important is mission or outreach or uh, evangelism, all kind of tied into one. Really what I want to talk about that week is the outward flow of whatever it is that we're doing here together. There should be an outward flow out into the community and to the people around us. There's, there must be an outward flow to that. So today, we're just going to talk about worship. What is worship? Why is it important? Well, worship itself has changed a lot. That's probably been the most significant change that we've seen in the last five years, 20 years, as I was saying. If you go all the way back to the beginning of worship, do you know what that was? Well, Adam and Eve in the garden. And they didn't have prescriptive worship of this is how you worship God and these are the songs you sing or anything like that. They just worshiped God by being with God. They didn't have any distraction. They didn't have anything that was keeping their heart from being fully aligned with God. And that's how they were created. God has always been concerned about the nature of our worship because that's what we were created to do. In Exodus chapter 23, right, right from the beginning, did you know that the, the main thing that, that kept being repeated when uh, Moses would go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go, God says let my people go, do you know why? In every time that Moses would go and say that, he'd say, so that they can go and worship me on the mountain. God has always been very concerned about the nature of our worship. What we see in the Bible, that's what we see in the Bible. And that's because we were created for worship. But friends, the danger is that the, the, that posture within us, that worshipful posture, that that desire within us to worship someone or something can easily be lost or it can be misdirected. We can start to worship things that we were not created to worship and it causes all kinds of problems within our hearts. You know this to be true. So what happened in history, we we're designed to worship. What happened in history is that differences emerged. We know that to be true now in our, in our time. 
Not just recently, like which hymn book should we use or is it best to do traditional worship or contemporary worship? How should your preacher preach? Should it be expository? Like this is exactly what the Bible means. This is the Greek meaning and the Hebrew meaning of a word versus, well, I want something that's relatable. You know, those are the differences that we talk about now. What's the vibe of our worship? But differences started to emerge right away. And that's what Jesus and the Samaritan woman end up talking about in this text. This is a text that oftentimes we talk about and saying, well, look at Jesus went to this outcast of society. Someone who was alone at the well because no one wanted to talk to her. She was a sinful person. Pushed away from the essence of that community. But even she says, after Jesus reveals truth to her and says, look, you can trust me that I am the Messiah. I know everything about you. She tries to change the subject, and even she says, look, we have major differences between us, us Samaritans and Jews. It was actually a bitter kind of, uh, a bitter kind of relationship between those two groups of people. And they used to worship together on that mountain, in that specific place. And then the Jewish people moved on from there and said, no, now this is the, the proper place to worship. So she, as an outcast of her community, was trying to tell Jesus, look, you shouldn't even be talking to me. And don't you, don't you know that true worship is different for you, the Jews, than it is for us? But friends, Jesus makes this bold statement that He is bringing in a new era of worship. He says this in verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. Hear this again. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and the truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship them, worship Him. It's fascinating. I think this is fascinating that there are actually no specific prescriptions of worship all throughout the Bible. There's no spot like I found an old hymnal like from 1948, and there's actually a prescription if you open it up. This is what a worship service should be. Some of the things that we do now, it's pretty cool, like a moment of silence. It encourages people to, um, to maybe even bow down or kneel. What would, you, what would you say if I asked you to do that? Said Everybody kneel. You'd say, this is not a Catholic church. <laughs> we don't do that. But that's what it says in the Methodist hymnal. There's a, spe- a specific prescription of this is how you're supposed to worship. This is a Methodist service. But in the Bible, we don't actually see that. We don't actually see a prescriptive text saying this is the right way to do it. Now, there are examples. There are recommendations of how you're supposed to worship and where you're supposed to worship. In the Old Testament, uh, worshiping in the temple was a really big deal. And in specific ways, this is the nature of worship. But in the New Testament, we see lots of different variations. We see examples like in Acts 2 of how those earliest disciples, after Jesus died and was resurrected, how they worshiped God. And Paul says in Colossians 3, gives a list of different things, different elements that we've continued today. Songs and uh, spiritual readings, scriptures, prayer, all these different things. But those specifics of worship, those aren't like this is the exact way to do it. This isn't, there's no example that says do this forever and keep doing it in this 
way, and this is the right way. So stay on that path. The specifics of our worship, according to Jesus, are intended to be cues. The specifics of our worship are are intended to be cues that help us shift inwardly. That help us align our spirit with God's spirit according to the truth of who God is as revealed through the elements. So we have all kinds of different elements within our worship time. So the prayers are meant to open our hearts to God. Now, if the prayer was not truthful, if it didn't align, if you could say, well, I don't think that's the same truth as what's revealed in the Bible, then you should have concern about that. In our, we actually have Lectio Divina, again, which is part of opening our hearts in spirit to be open to receive from God according to the truth of who God is. True worshipers, Jesus says, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That means that we come here to worship, to bow down and praise and adore God. We come with an inner posture ready to bow down and to praise God and to adore God, to adore Him. Not simply just to come here and say, well, we, did our, we got our church quota for the week. <laughs> we come here to, to bow down and to, to worship, to adore God for who God is. It's very different than just coming to do things the right way. We come with a posture of being present. Of being present like we would to our best friend. Say, I'm here to listen to exactly what you have to say to me today. And I want to respond in a way that will honor you. Doesn't that feel good when people do that to you in your life? I come to be present. To surrender, to open myself. And then to gain a sense of humility by seeing God for who God really is. John Mark Comer, an author and pastor that I really appreciate, says authentic worship Authentic worship is the only natural response for seeing more of who God really is. If we can get a glimpse of who God really is, the only natural response, the only proper response within our heart is to worship Him. To say, God, I don't know everything about You, but You are amazing. You are so far beyond what I can understand, but I know that You are good and that You love me, and so I want to love You. So the different elements of worship, even walking through the doors, even just getting out of your car and coming in here are cues to our bodies, our minds, and our spirits to open ourselves to God so that we could take on His character and allow ourselves to be changed. Allow ourselves to be changed. We have to open ourselves up for that and to be transformed into Christ-likeness. But that process, friends, is not a given. We don't, <laughs> we don't just come here and, and participate in worship and then leave changed. It's not a given that that will happen. Here's an example for you. Have you ever listened to a really powerful worship song? Like really powerful that just really touched your heart. Maybe it's within worship. Maybe it's on your drive to work. And you said, wow, God is with me and I just feel it. And I want to respond to this song and I want to live my life for God. Do you ever have that experience? But then maybe you hear it ten times and pretty soon it's like, eh, yeah, I still like it. 
And then after like 20 times of hearing it, you're like, yeah, yeah. And you're not even, you know, it's not even anywhere close to that same experience. That's because just going through the, the different elements, just listening to a worship song does not mean that our hearts are actually worshiping. Even just going to a Bible study and coming and talking about our lives and learning about God's truth does not mean that our hearts are actually open to God. It's not a guarantee. It can be powerful, but these different things, even coming to worship, can just become rhythmic. It can be just, just become routine. And that's where the Pharisees started to get into trouble, wasn't it? And Jesus was challenging that and saying, the true worshipers that the Father is after worship with spirit, with everything within them, and in truth. They don't just make things up about God and say, well, that's the God that we're going to worship. No, those are idols. True worship, according to Jesus, is opening our hearts to the God who is unimaginable, yet who loves us and who expresses Himself through the truth claims of Scripture. And when we worship this God, that experience changes us. It does something to us. We can't help but worship that God and and leave here as changed people. And that can lead to Worship as a lifestyle. It can mean that we can worship God just doing random things. Sometimes I feel worshipful and want to worship God when I'm doing the dishes. I know, sounds crazy, right? <laughs> Who would ever do that? But as I'm, as I'm standing there and being present and, and trying to accept the reality that God is with me and loves me, I can find myself opening my heart in that same way as when I listen to a powerful worship song or when we worship here in gathered community, or when I go to a worship service that's exactly the way that I like it. You know, awesome worship music and powerful, relatable message, and I just say, yes, God. I can find myself opening my heart in that exact same way, yes, doing the dishes. I'm still not able to do that when I'm playing Barbies with the kids. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Just saying. But if we have experiences of worshiping in spirit and in truth, we can develop worship as a lifestyle, which, friends, hear this, that is what God is really after. That is what God created us for. That's what we see in the garden. Is that God created us to be in continual relationship with Him so that every time we get a sense of who God is, we just stop what we're doing, even just in our minds, and say, God, I want to worship You. And that can happen anywhere. I had that experience a couple weeks ago when I drove to Celebrate Recovery, which I go to on Thursday nights. And I really didn't want to go. I said out loud, I'm not going tonight. Just not, I'm not going. It's the, it's the weather's kind of bad and whatever. And so eventually I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. Okay, God, I'm going to go. I experienced community there. We have worship there. People open their hearts and share what's happening in their life. It's a powerful experience. Sometimes I get to pour myself out to help other people there. I said, okay, God, I'm going to go and just see what you have for me. So I I drive all the way there to Mankato. It's like a 20, 25-minute drive. And the picture's up on the... The the sign is up on the door, closed because of the weather. Thanks for letting me know. (laughs) But as soon as I saw the sign... I ended up thanking God because I had been worshiping on the whole drive there. And I worshiped the whole way back. 
I, I was listening to some music that I really like and I found myself not just listening to it to distract myself from the realities of my life at the time, a stressful day, but just pouring my heart out to God while I'm driving and saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, You are good and just help me to receive the love that You have for me. Just let me open myself up just a little bit more even. That, that, was, my, that was my true experience on the drive. And so I found myself grateful for even that inconvenience. That's the power of worship. That's what God wants for us, is to see everything in our life, everything in our life as an opportunity to worship Him. Because we get a sense of who He is. And we get a sense, we get the assurance that He is with us. And so that then we can face those things regularly in our lives without losing touch with God without unplugging from His presence. But the hard part, friends, is that most of us need accountability and we need encouragement. We need habits that help us to maintain this kind of posture. We need habits of being together in order to have these experiences alone. We can miss the Spirit. And we can miss the truth. So many people that I know, especially when I worked on the golf course, they would say, well, I worship God when I'm out in nature. I don't need the church. And I just say, okay, good for you. But my question to those friends of mine would be, <laughs> okay, so how do you get a sense of God being with you outside of just I feel at peace in nature? And where are you receiving truth about God? Because it's pretty easy when you're in nature to just decide that God is whatever you think God is. Spirit and truth is what Jesus tells us. Thinking things about God that just aren't true, that can happen. And we can actually then start to excuse our lack of worship. Not just coming to worship, but our lack of worship as a posture because of God's loving character, which is true. God does love us and God does give us new opportunities and forgive us always, but that is not how God created us. God created us for worship. So we need this kind of worship, this kind of worship, to put ourselves in those spaces where we're receiving the Spirit, the encouragement, experiencing the Holy Spirit together, and hearing truth. It can be adaptable, it can be resilient, it can be flexible, it can change shapes all throughout time, but we need to gather and worship together. Some of the churches that are doing, uh, that aren't actually shrinking, but are the most powerful uh, modes of church that we see in the world today, including in America, are home churches. We learned in our Bible, in one of our uh, small group curriculums, of a woman who worshipped God as a slave in a shipping container, like within the last five years. Uh, in China and in Iran, the home churches and underground churches are growing like crazy. It, more and more people are coming to Christ. Why is that? Is it because they have the best pastors? Or the best worship music? Or the best buildings or whatever? No, it's because they have to, they have to buy in wholeheartedly. Or, or it doesn't even make any sense because they could be killed or imprisoned. Those modes of church are the ones that are actually thriving right now. And I don't think it has anything to do with anything else except for this truth that 
when they go to worship God, they are worshiping in spirit like, God, I give you everything right now. I give you all of my life because none of it is mine anyways. And in truth, they have a high emphasis on the Bible. You say, well, of course, we're just going to live our life as closely to this as we can. We need this experience with regularity. It cues us. It helps us to remember the importance of a worshipful posture. So it's okay, I understand. You know, life is busy. Things are hard. We now have two opportunities to worship, by the way. So Sunday and Wednesday. But still, I get it if you can't be here. Or if your life is just so messy or complicated or maybe it's painful to come here. I get it. But if, if you're not coming here to be cued to worship God, if you're not getting the cues from this experience together and seeing, looking around and being encouraged like, yes, we are God's people and God is real and, and we're living this life for God. If you're not getting the cues here, then where are you getting them? Where are your cues coming from to worship God? Right, Not just to believe that He's real. Not just to believe that the Bible is important. But to worship God. Where are you getting those cues when you're not here? Because the truth is that there are lots of other things that will cue us to worship just about everything and everyone else. There are plenty of other cues that will turn our hearts towards just about anything and anyone else. What's orienting your heart to Jesus? And opening yourself through surrender to become like Him. What are those cues like? So another thing that's easy to say is it's, it's easy to say, well, I would come to church more often if they did it this way. <laughs> if they had, I know that a lot of you would say, if they had contemporary worship music, I would be there every week. So work on that for a while, and then I'll come, and then I'll come regularly every week. Or maybe if, well, if they had a nursery attendant, I would come every week. Yep. Or maybe if it wasn't just Pastor Chad talking all the time, I would come every week. <laughs> just saying. You know, it could be anything. Uh, we need to remember that worship, this experience of worship, is not just what we get from it. This is not like going to the movie theater. This is not like even going to the rec center. Worship differs in that we bring something to worship. And whatever it is that we're willing to bring is what makes worship good. So imagine if all of us come with the passion for God. Just imagine this for a second. Every one of us comes with this enthusiasm that's generated from within our small groups, from within our serving, from within our uh, experiencing God out in the community. And we come to this experience with that excitement of like, yes, we get to worship God together. This is amazing. I think I just spit on you. Sorry. <laughs> just really excited. <laughs> this is what it's about, you guys. This is, this is so important. We come with that enthusiasm and say we get to worship God together. What a powerful experience. What a powerful reality that we are privileged to live into. Well, yeah, but that's just your version of Christianity, Pastor Chad. Maybe that's what you... Thing. Well, think of it like a, like a basketball game. You know that we've got some good teams in town, right? Okay, if you go to a basketball game 
and there's like five fans there. What is that like for the players? There's like five fans, and they're into it, you know. Maybe they even have the banners, you know. <laughs> they're really into it. What a difference if that gymnasium is packed full. There's an energy there, isn't there? There's an excitement there. There's like, wow, we get to be in this space right here and right now? This is amazing. And think of the difference that those contrasts make for the players. Well, I guess we get to play basketball. You know, there's like five people. It's like my mom and dad and my grandma. Versus like, man, everybody in the town is here. They're here to encourage us. And, and you leave that event you leave that event kind of changed a little bit, right? You're like, man, that was amazing. I can't wait until the next time. Hopefully, if they, if they won, if they were competitive. Not so with our Minnesota sports teams. <laughs> but here locally, that's the experience. That kind of experience changes us. But when you go to, to that kind of space, you expect to bring something. You expect to bring your very best to encourage the team, to contribute, to bring your heart. That's spirit. And truth is like, well, we're playing basketball. This is called a basketball. It's not called a football. Those types of things and the rules of the game. That's what we bring in spirit and in truth. We come bringing our energy bringing the very best that we can bring to give to God and to one another. And we receive God's truth. And when we do that in person, together, and online, understand if you're online, it changes us. It shapes us more and more into the people of God. And that experience can never be taken away from us. Whether we're here in this space, or we're in the hospital, or we're imprisoned somewhere, or we're at work and we just need to get away. If we've had this kind of powerful experience, we can go into some private space and worship God because we've been developing that posture in our hearts here together and being encouraged by that. So it's true. It is true. Worship has changed a lot. It's probably going to continue to change. I mean, it just will. There's fewer and fewer people involved in worship and people's preferences change. It will change. But history shows us that God's church can endure anything. History has shown us that God's church can endure anything. It can endure the frontiers of America. Circuit riders standing on a stump and proclaiming the Gospel. And it can certainly endure everything that we're going through now and will encounter in the future. God's church will endure anything with hope, love, peace, and joy when we gather to worship in spirit and in truth. Amen.
We're going to take a, a minute just to uh, pray whatever it is that we would like to pray in response. A silent prayer. We just have one celebration lifted in our, our worship book. Normally we would share some joys and concerns. Uh, one celebration is that Bobby Davis, who's watching